found by the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Let's just open with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, for another opportunity to be in this place and to worship you in song and to come and spend time around your word. Lord, I pray you'd undertake now this morning, you give me wisdom and guidance from high, that your Holy Spirit would be in control this morning of your words, of your thoughts. Lord, you would take your word and uh, speak to our hearts and teach us through your word this morning. Lord, I pray you'd be honored and glorified now in everything we do and praise in Jesus' name. Now, chapter 11, of course, began with Peter returning back to Jerusalem. Of course, he'd been uh, up to Caesarea, to the house of Cornelius, and seeing Cornelius and his household saved, and then he headed back down to Jerusalem. And when he arrived at Jerusalem, waiting for him was a group of Jewish believers who were waiting to correct him. You know, they perceived that he'd done the wrong thing. They didn't like what he'd done and so they were waiting to approach him and to confront him with what they thought was uh, wrong what he'd done wrong and these jewish believers are referred to as being uh, of the circumcision back in verse 2 it says that's what they were they were of the circumcision it sort of indicates to us that these are as we said legalistic jews these are ones who are adding to their faith their christian faith jewish customs jewish traditions And these believers were not happy with Peter in particular because he'd entered into the house of a Gentile, the house of Cornelius, and he'd had fellowship uh, with this man. He'd given this man the gospel message. They couldn't believe that Peter, an apostle, would defile himself by doing such a thing, by associating and eating with a Gentile. And so Peter, upon his arrival in Jerusalem, has uh, a problem to face, doesn't he? He has to answer his critics. And he answers them by showing them clearly that the work among the Gentiles was of the Lord. That it was led by the Spirit and that the Gentiles had received the same Spirit as them all at salvation. And so Peter makes it clear to them that, you know, this was not his idea. This was God's work. And that God had clearly accepted the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit's. The result, as we saw in verse 18, is that when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God granted, uh, sorry, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. And so the result is that the people in Jerusalem rejoiced. They rejoiced at uh, the work of the Lord. And with verse 19 now, the writer Luke, he sort of turns his attention away from Peter and the events that are taking place in Jerusalem right now. And he turns his attention instead to the work of some other Jewish Christians who had been scattered abroad at the persecution that followed Stephen's death. And it's a reference here uh, back to uh, chapter 8, verse 4. Let's turn back there with me, if you would. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Read almost the same words as we find at the start of verse 19 in chapter 11. It says, Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. Okay, in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Now they which were scattered abroad from the persecution that arose 
about Stephen travelled as far as Phoenice, Cyprus and Antioch preaching the words none but the Jews only. So this is a reference here back to that event, okay? Acts chapter 8, the, the persecution of Stephen and the persecution of the church that followed. And following that persecution, the believers had been scattered. They traveled out with the gospel message. And so Luke now tells us what's happened. Okay, so it tells us what's been going on with these ones who traveled abroad. And so Luke's focus now from verse 19 to the end of the chapter is on the establishment by these scattered believers of the first Gentile church in Antioch. So this morning as we look at the beginning of the church at Antioch, there are two important points that we want to consider. There's two important points we want to consider this morning. First of all, we see the Gentiles saved. The Gentiles saved. Verse 19 again, it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice, and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none but the Jews only. And some of them which were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, um, sorry, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Now verse 19 here begins, as I said, by describing for us the, the scattered believers, okay, and the work that they've been doing. They've scattered and they've taken with them the gospel message. You know, they've taken it and traveled to great distances. He says here in verse 19, they've traveled as far as Phoenice, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word. Both Phoenice and Antioch are hundreds of kilometers to the north of Jerusalem. It's a long way away. Cyprus, of course, is an island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And so they've traveled out to the island as well. And so these believers who've been scattered have indeed gone to great regions. The extent of the spread of the gospel is great by these believers. But at first, as it says there at the end of verse 19, they preach the word to none but unto the Jews only. So at first, as they go, they're, they're taking the gospel message, but they're looking for the Jews. They're finding the, the synagogue in each city and they're preaching to the Jews as they go with the message. But in verse 20, there's a change. Because in verse 20, we're told that a particular group of scattered believers makes a step of faith to preach unto the Gentiles. In verse 20, we read, And some of them which were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And here we're told that it's these certain men of Cyprus and of Cyrene that first take the step of preaching unto the Gentiles. They preach unto the Grecians, it says here, which is, of course is talking about the Gentiles there in Antioch. You know, we don't read here of any uh, particular uh, reason for them doing this. You know, it's not like Peter. You know, Peter was given a great vision from heaven, wasn't he, of the sheep coming down and the Lord made it abundantly clear to him, you're not to call any people unclean you ought to minister to all alike we don't read of them here receiving a vision like peter it seems that these jews are simply led by the spirit and they step out in faith and they preach unto the gentiles you know perhaps the fact that these jews are from cyprus and cyrene made it easier for them to associate with gentiles Okay, because, because they're from Cyprus and Cyrene, it tells us that they're Hellenistic Jews. They're, 
Jews with Greek culture. That's where they're from. Okay, they weren't from Judea. And so perhaps the fact that they've grown up around Gentiles, around the Greek culture, perhaps that helped them to bridge the gap. You know, they'd grown up with these kind of people, and so they're quite happy to associate with them and to preach the truth to these people. But at any rate, you know, these scattered believers, these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, they take a great step here, a monumental step, in preaching the gospel unto the Gentiles in the city of Antioch. And once again, you know, we see the Lord's work of grace here taking place in a city of great importance. As we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen the Lord sort of begins his work in these major centers. We saw the work at Jerusalem. And then there was the work in Samaria. And then Caesarea, which was the Roman capital in the region. And now it's the city of Antioch. And again, Antioch is a major capital city. It's the major city of Syria, the region of Syria. It's the major city in the area. It's 480 kilometers to the north of Jerusalem. It's a fair way away from Jerusalem that these believers have traveled with the gospel message. And Antioch at this time, according to history books, had around 500,000 to 800,000 people. And so it was a large metropolis. History tells us that at this time it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. The third largest. It was a city of immense power, immense wealth. It boasted grand buildings, which led to it being given the name Antioch the Golden, or the Queen of the East. The main street of Antioch was more than six and a half kilometers long and it was lined with marble, paved with marble all the way down. It was lined also with marble colonnades or columns along the side of it. Now, this, was a, this was a city that had this marvelous, beautiful street all the way through it. Not only that, this city in the ancient world was the only city to have its street leaded up at night. It had lights along the street. You see, this city was a grand city in the Roman Empire. It was a major city. It was a city of great importance, a city of great luxury and culture. And because it was such, it attracted all kinds of people. You know, people flocked to Antioch to live. I read one commentator this week who said it was like the New York City of the ancient world. To put it in perspective, it was this grand place that attracted people. Now, truly, it was a grand city for its time, but also it was a city steeped in wickedness. It was a grand city, but it was a city of wickedness, a city of immorality, a city of debauchery. It was said to be second only to Corinth in its wickedness. You know, Corinth was known to be a wicked, sinful place. Antioch was only second to it in its sin and its wickedness of the day. It was a place of great idol worship, you know, all the Greek, the Roman, the Syrian gods were all honored in Antioch with shrines and with places of worship. But in particular, the local god was Daphne. Okay, it was the, the local deity. And this local deity was worshipped with immorality, with immoral practices. They had the temple prostitutes there in Antioch. So because of this, this city became known for its immorality. It became known as a, a place you go for immorality, for sin, for wickedness. So the point is, this is the city that these Christians now come across. 
This is the city that they arrive in and they, they see before them. You know, what is before them really is a city that's right for evangelism, isn't it? It's a city that's ready to receive the gospel. They need the gospel. It's a city of great need. They need the truth. And you see, these believers, they recognized the truth, didn't they? They recognized the need of the people. And so they decided to step out in faith and preach to the people, not just the Jews, but to preach to the Grecians, the Gentiles in the city as well. So these believers stepped out in faith and they preached the gospel where it had never been preached before, to a people who had never heard before. You know, the Jews had, as we looked before, traditionally rejected and hated the Gentiles, wanted nothing to do with them. This is a big step of faith here that these Jewish Christians are doing. And they're preaching to a people who have never heard anything about Christ, the Messiah. They know nothing about Christ. And here they are preaching to them about this one who came and died for their sins. Now there is the possibility that they did this because they'd heard about Peter's work at Caesarea. That is possible. They heard about what Peter had done and so they followed suits. We can't say for sure because Acts is not always in chronological order. There's no guarantee that they've heard of Peter's work before they step out in faith and preach to the Gentiles. What we can say for sure is that they showed great faith in the Lord in evangelizing these people. You know, God blessed their labors. Verse 21, it says this, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. See, God was with them in this work. As they stepped out in faith and they went and preached to the Gentiles, not just the Jews, God blessed their labors. God blessed this work. You know, this is what made their labor effective, isn't it? If God wasn't in the work, if it wasn't of the Lord, it would have failed. But God was with them. God was in it. And so God blessed this work. God blessed this labor. And it says that a great number believed and turned to the Lord. There's a great work taking place. Great work is instigated here in the city of Antioch. And we have this first church established here in Antioch, this church that's made up of Jews and Gentiles for the very first time. It's a congregation that's mixed for the very first time because of the faith of these men. You know, these believers, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, you know, they're an example to all of us, aren't they? An example of the burden that we should have for the lost. You know, they were confronted by a wicked city before them, but what they saw was the lost. They saw a need. They were burdened for the lost, and so they stepped down in faith and preached under people who before this had been rejected. Show great love and compassion for the Gentiles. You know, they didn't let the grandeur of the city put them off. They didn't let the, the wickedness of the city silence them. But in boldness, in faith, they stepped out and declared the truth. And God blessed their labor. You see, beloved, like them, we need to have a burden for the lost. You know, the world is a place of wickedness. And we should see that as indicative of their need. That's what it is, isn't it? It's an indication of their great need, their need of the Savior. You see, we need to be like these men and step out in faith and proclaim the truth, have a burden for the lost. 
you know, we ask God for opportunities to witness and then to take those opportunities when they come. If we ask the Lord, he'll bring them our way. We then need to step out in faith and take them. Take those opportunities to bring men and women to Christ. And so we see here in Antioch, the Gentiles say, we see secondly now, the Gentiles are discipled. The Gentiles discipled. Verse 22, we read this, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. Who, when he was come and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. He was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now we've seen the, the scattered believers instigating this work here in Antioch, instigating this work by preaching the truth to the Gentiles. A new work has been established, a new church is established. And now we find that news of that work travels back to Jerusalem. It doesn't take long for Jerusalem to hear of what's taking place. It says there in verse 22, Then tidings of these things came under the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. Tidings of this comes to them. They hear of what's taking place. And so the church decides that they're going to send someone to investigate, if you like, to go and see this work and see what's taking place and see how it's going. Now, this is very similar to what happened when Philip went to Samaria. Go back with me to Acts chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 14. Chapter 8 verse 14 it says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. In Acts chapter 8, of course, we had Philip and he, he went and did a work among the Samaritans. And the church in Jerusalem found out about it. And what did they do? They sent a delegation. They sent Peter and John to see this new work. And now we see the exact same thing takes place. They hear about this new work that's taking place in Antioch. And so the church decides to send a delegation. And this time they choose to send Barnabas. Barnabas is the man chosen. You know there's a lot of wisdom here in the choice of Barnabas. There's a lot of wisdom. You see, Barnabas, like these ones who had started the work at Antioch, was from Cyrus. Just uh, Cyprus, sorry. Go over to Acts chapter 4 with me. Go back to Acts chapter 4, verse 36. Acts 4, verse 36, it says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is, being interpreted, the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. And so Barnabas, like these ones who'd started the work in Antioch, is from Cyprus himself. And so this means that the ones who started the work are his countrymen, aren't they? They're his countrymen. He may even know some of them. If they've left Jerusalem, as they have, been scattered, he may even know some of them from before they left. But he's of the same place. He grew up in the same land as these ones. This means that like them, he's a Hellenistic Jew. He had Greek culture. He grew up in a Greek place, Greek culture. 
And so Barnabas immediately would have been more sympathetic to the work than some of the other Jews would have been. You know, if they'd sent one of the Jews of the circumcision, mentioned in verse 2 here in Acts chapter 11, things may not have been the same. They chose someone who, who was immediately sympathetic to the work, someone who had grown up in the same place, someone who had the same sort of attitude towards the Gentiles as these ones who had started the work. Not only that, but we see that his character made him the right man for the job as well. And as we just read there in uh, chapter 4, verse 36, the apostles surnamed him Barnabas, which being, is being interpreted the son of consolation. The apostles gave him this nickname, Barnabas. And the nickname means son of consolation or son of encouragement. You see, this is exactly what Barnabas was. He was a man who encouraged others, couldn't help himself. That's why he got called this. That's why he was given this nickname. And so who better to send to this new work than the son of encouragement? He's the perfect one for the job, isn't he? You see, this is exactly what this new group of believers needed right now. They needed encouragement. They needed to be established in their faith. They needed someone to come in, come in and work with them. And the last thing they needed was someone to come in and criticize everything they're doing wrong. You know, point out all the things that you know, they're not doing the same as the church at Jerusalem. You've got this wrong. You've got that wrong. They didn't need that. What they needed was someone to encourage them and build them up in the faith. And so Barnabas is the perfect choice. In verse 24, we're given a spiritual profile, if you like, of Barnabas. Verse 24 in Acts chapter 11, it says, For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. The phrase here, a good man, indicates to us that he was a righteous man. This doesn't mean that he was sinless. It's talking the fact that he was upstanding before men. He lived a righteous life. He was someone who sought to obey the word of God. He was someone who sought to live it in his daily life. And because of this, he was known for his godly character. You know, Barnabas, oh yeah, he's a good man. He's a righteous man. He was known to be upright in his character. Not only that, but it says here that he was full of the Holy Ghost. Now, as we said before, you know, we receive the Holy Ghost at the point of salvation, so all of us are full of the Holy Ghost. What it's talking about here, bud, is it's talking about the filling of the Holy Ghost, isn't it? That controlling influence of the spirits. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 declares unto us, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. That's the whole idea, isn't it? As wine controls, it influences us, we are instead to be controlled by the spirits controlled by the spirit and that's what's saying here when it says that he was a man full of the holy ghost it's saying he was someone controlled by the spirits yielded to the spirit's control and it was evident in his life you know this is why he was seen to be a good man isn't it because the spirit was in control of his life of his actions and lastly here it says that he was a man of faith in other words he was someone who was steadfast steadfast in his confidence in God and his confidence in the truth in the promises of the Lord his his faith was unwavering and his faith was clear for all to see so we see here that Barnabas because of his character stood out as someone who was perfect for the job 
It's very similar to the qualifications that were listed when they chose Stephen as a deacon. Stephen was said to be a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost. It's very similar, isn't it? You see, again, the church is looking for someone of similar character. Someone who can go and do the job. And Barnabas is that man. Verse 23 now describes for us what Barnabas finds when he arrives and what he does. It says in verse 23, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. Now when Barnabas arrives in Antioch, what he sees is the grace of God. That's what it says. It says he sees the grace of God. Now how can one see the grace of God? It's an invisible thing, isn't it? The point is he saw the effects of it. That's what it's saying, isn't it? That he saw the effects of the grace of God. It had had an effect upon the city of this great city. Uh, sorry, the people of this great city. It had an effect upon them. The grace of God had changed their lives. You know, these ones who responded to the gospel had changed. There was evidence of the grace of God in their lives. Grace was evident clearly to Barnabas. It was evidence that these ones had experienced the same grace that he had. The same grace of God. And it had changed their lives. Now, Barnabas, we're told upon seeing this, it says that he was glad. In other words, he rejoiced. He was excited about what he's seeing before him. We need to remember that this is a totally new experience for Barnabas. For that matter, this is a new experience for any Christian. The church that he is attending is a church where there's a mixed congregation. There's Jews and Gentiles alike worshipping the Lord together. This is a new experience. And as he sees the grace of God, his response is that he's glad, he's rejoicing at what he sees. Rejoicing in this new work, he's witnessing Jews and Gentiles praising and worshipping the Lord together. See, Barnabas didn't look for things to criticize, did he? He didn't come in and start criticizing things. He came in and looked at what the Lord was doing and rejoiced. Rejoiced in what was taking place. Because clearly God's grace was at work. And not only does he rejoice, but we're also told that he taught and encouraged the people. Verse 23 again, the end there it says, And exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. He exhorts them to cleave unto the Lord. You know, they'd begun well. They got saved. That's a great start, isn't it? They got saved. But now they needed to grow in that, didn't they? They needed to grow in their faith, grow in their knowledge. They needed to cleave to the Lord. In other words, draw nigh unto him, be dedicated to the truth, committed to the Lord, committed to the faith. Now this phrase here reminds us of Joshua's admonition to the people of Israel. Just go back with me to Joshua 22. Joshua 22 and verse 5, it says, But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. 
Now Joshua here made the same exhortation to the people. He said, cleave to the Lord. But the passage there in Joshua makes it clear you know, what this involves because it talks about loving the Lord, walking in the Lord's ways, obeying the Lord's word, serving him wholeheartedly, putting him first. So it talks about there, serving him with all your hearts. And that's really what he's saying here when he exhorted the people to cleave to the Lord. He's exhorting them to put him first, be devoted to the Lord, draw nigh unto him, obey his word, live for him. He's exhorting them to now grow in the faith, not just be content to be saved and be on their way to heaven, but now to start to be sanctified, to be changed, to be more like him. You know, Matthew 6 verse 24 declares, No man can serve two masters. And that's what Barnabas is making clear. He says, now cleave to the Lord. You can't serve both. You can't go back to your old ways. You've got to cleave to the Lord. Serve him and him alone. They needed to draw nigh to the Lord and focus on him. Make him master and Lord of their lives. And the result of this work that Barnabas does is that these believers, sorry, the result of this work is evident to us in the verses that follow. Let's just read it first. Verse 24 says, for he, uh, at the end of verse 24, sorry, and much people was added unto the Lord, then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first. In Antioch. So here we have the results of Barnabas's work, Barnabas's labors among these people. The end of verse 24 tells us that much people were added unto the Lord. There's clear evidence of Barnabas's work here. The church goes forward, there's increase. More people are added to the faith. You see, the saints now being grounded in the word and encouraged to cleave to the Lord, encouraged to now draw closer to him. These saints now have a strong witness before the unsaved and even more come to the Lord. They reproduce themselves. And beloved, this is exactly what this is supposed to happen in a church, isn't it? This is exactly what the church is intended to do. Just turn over to uh, Ephesians chapter 4 with me. Ephesians 4 verse 11. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Here we see the purpose of the church and its ministers. The purpose of the church is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Perfecting the saints so they might then do the work of the ministry, which is bringing men and women to Christ. You see, Barnabas, he came in and he did his role as a teacher. That's what he did. He came in and he taught the people, he instructed them, he exhorted them. He did his part, building them up, encouraging them in the faith so that then they could do the work of the ministry, so that they then could reproduce themselves, bringing others to the Lord. Verse 25 there in Acts 11 continues on. It says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul. So great now is the work in this church that Barnabas needs help. It's going forward. It's, it's, it's increasing. People are getting saved. More are getting saved. As the people grow in the Lord. And so he needs 
help. And so he, sent, he goes to Tarsha's story to find Saul. He lists Saul's help. You know, Barnabas, he knew that Saul had been called by God to minister to the Gentiles, didn't he? Remember, he was the one who presented him to the apostles and stood up for him. He knew what God's calling was for Saul. And so it's Saul that he now seeks to help him in this work. And together we're told they spend a whole year in Antioch teaching the people. Verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. They spend a whole year teaching these new Christians. Teaching this church, instructing these people, grounding these people in the faith. Beloved, here we see a really important principle. It's the principle of discipleship. Discipleship. You see, it was great that the gospel had gone out in this Gentile city. It was great that people had got saved and new work had begun. But that's never enough. That's not where it ends, is it? It doesn't end with people just getting saved. See, these ones who got gotten saved, they now need, needed to be grounded in the faith. They needed to be discipled, to be taught, established in the faith so that they might then continue on for the Lord and indeed bring others to Christ, reproduce themselves. You know, this was a year well spent by Barnabas and Saul. This was not a wasted time, was it? This was a year well spent discipling these believers. And we see the evidence that it was a year well spent because it says at the end of verse 26, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now the evidence is obviously there in the fact that these ones now are being called Christians by the people in Antioch. Christ-like ones. There's a change taking place in the lives of these people as they're growing in faith, as the church is established. People are looking at them and talking about them and saying they're Christ-like ones. Christians. Beloved, we need to understand the importance of discipling new believers in the faith. We must not diminish this part of the work. It's great to bring others to Christ, and indeed, that's our purpose here on earth, to get the message out, to bring others to the Lord. But once we see them saved, we have a responsibility to disciple them in the faith. To, like Barnabas, come alongside and encourage them to cleave to the Lord, to draw nigh unto him, to grow in the faith, become more like Christ. The responsibility to teach them the foundations of the Christian faith so that they might indeed grow in that faith and then they might do the work of the ministry, might reproduce themselves. Beloved, this is exactly why our youth ministries are more than just fun and a gospel message. This is the reason for it, isn't it? It's the reason why we do much more than just play games with the kids and give them the same gospel message every week. You see, we want to make sure that once they do get saved, we then disciple them, that we teach them in the faith so they might then continue on for the Lord and they might bring their friends to Christ. Yeah, this is why we get them to learn verses, isn't it? This is why we get them to do their devotions in Proteins. This is why we, we teach them the truths of God's word. We preach the gospel, yes. But we also teach them the truths of God's word. We teach those who are saved. Give them an understanding of God's word. Now, it's the same with our Sunday school, isn't it? It's the same with church. 
This is the purpose of the church, perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry. And beloved, we with boldness like these men from Cyprus and Cyrene need to preach the gospel to the lost. We need a burden for the lost. But then like Barnabas, we need to disciple them, build them up in the faith, encourage them, establish them so they might then go on for the Lord and bring others to Christ. Let's close in the word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the book of Acts and the wonderful truths that are contained therein. We thank you, Lord, for the labor of these men from Cyrene and Cyprus in starting a work among the Gentiles. Lord, we thank you for Barnabas and indeed Saul coming alongside to disciple these new believers, to build them up in the faith so they might reproduce themselves. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to realize, Lord, that there are men and women out there who need you. Lord, help us to have a burden for the lost, but Lord, also help us to disciple those who come to you, to build them up in the faith. Lord, may we never lose focus, Lord, of this purpose of the church. Be blessed now as we close in Jesus' name. As we close this morning, let's turn to 325. More like the master, let's just stand to sing the first and last of 325. I don't know. Must be. It's over there. Let's stand to sing first and last. <coughs> Consecration for what he bids me do.